Today on Mission Live, we have got Mission Resident Claire with us today. We've got uh, part two of our Crucial Conversations series, and we've got a bunch of good stuff in the news. Check it out. <laughs> Happy Monday. It is Mission Live. I hope you're enjoying your Monday. We are already having technical dif- difficulties at 908 all up and down the West Coast, uh, but that's okay. We just we just blow through them because that's what we do. We're just that kind of a mission. We don't play victim here. We play solutions. That's what we do. Hey, today we've got a talk of the town. Find out what's going on in the news. Got my groovy little music going there as we are dealing with news all up and down the West Coast. We got news today out of Seattle, Washington, KOMO news. This is a brand new tiny house village sits empty. Uh, A new tiny house village sits empty after the the Low Income Housing Institute, LIHI, says they were denied funding. Brand new and ready to go. The South End Tiny House Village sits empty in Rainier Beach. It has many of the necessities someone needs to live, like beds, bathrooms, a community kitchen, and that kind of thing. The problem is the Low Income Housing Institute, LIHI, isn't able to open it. We were stunned that the decision was made not to open a resource that should get 40 to 60 people every year. We could open our doors tomorrow, said John Grant, chief strategy officer for LIHI. Grant says that they built the village through donations and partnerships, but that the problem is that they need funding to operate it so that they can cover the cost of things like utilities and staff. We applied for funding through the Regional Homeless Authority. The proposal that we put together would have opened this village weeks ago, but unfortunately our proposal was deemed not to be competitive, said Grant. Uh, KOMO reached out to King County Regional Homeless Authority, uh, the KCRHA, we love our acronyms here, I guess, uh, to see why KOMO received this statement below from uh, Annie Martins, Director of External Affairs and Communications for the KCRHA. The Regional Homeless Authority ran into opening, ran an opening competitive bidding process for limited public funds as required by law and awarded funds to several non-congregate shelters based on impartial evaluation process with clear criteria. Any attempt to go around the competitive bidding process would be, for public funds would be contrary to the law. Tracy Williams is a village organizer and a tiny house village at a tiny house village in in the central district. Before she started working for LIHI, she lived in a tiny house. I can just count thousands of people that could have used that facility. Thousands of people can use it, and we need to get funding. We need to we need funding to get them off the streets because the program helped me," said Williams. Williams and Grant are worried about what could happen if these homes stay empty even longer. We know that homelessness is a crisis. We know it is a life or death thing. That's why we acted. That's why we built this place," said Grant. 
Um, a freebie takeaway, uh, Grant, as a chief strategy strategy officer, probably isn't all that good for strategy uh, if he didn't plan very well. Here's the takeaway: the tiny the tiny village that they built, planning on being paid by the county to run it, but didn't realize that the operational cost would uh, have to go out to bid and be awarded to the lowest bidder. So they, they just didn't recognize this. Um, seems like bad strategy. Uh, here we have an excellent example of just plain old bad planning. Uh, right hand not knowing what the left hand's doing. In Luke, uh, Luke 14, Jesus said this. He says, For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish it, all who see him begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? So, I mean, even Jesus would have said, probably not good planning. Uh, If the only measure of success is cost, then money will always be manipulated by those who want it. That's the bottom line, and, uh, and it's really tough when you see governments trying to evaluate this, this issue and throwing money at it. It's, it's really difficult for them, um, and, and when their measurement is just money, um, boy, it's a, it's a tough one. Uh, I'm not saying that King County, that that's their only measurements or, or any of that stuff, but these folks that went into building this place just did a poor job of thinking it all through. Um, and I would say they raised the funds privately. They probably ought to continue going with uh, pi- private uh, investments on that. Our next piece of news comes from the San Francisco Chronicle. Um, in fact, I got to tell you, I'm going to read to you just a segment of this of this article. If you get a chance, uh, follow the link uh, below the below our page here um, to this article. It is phenomenal. It was a great, very well done piece of journalism, uh, and I recommend it. The title is called "Broken Homes, San Francisco." spends millions of dollars to shelter its most vulnerable residents in dilapidated hotels. With little oversight or support, the results are disastrous. Uh, This was by Joaquin Palomino and Tricia uh, Thadani, um, and I'm probably butchering their last names. I apologize, but great journalism, folks. Very, very good. Uh, This came from last week. Two years, it says... This has been Pauline Levinson's home, a run-down, century-old hotel in the Tenderloin, where a rodent infestation became so severe that she pitched a tent inside her room to keep the mice away, where residents have threatened each other with knives, crowbars, and guns, sometimes drawing police into the building several times a day where since 2020, at least nine people have died from drug overdoses. One man was discovered only after a foul stench seeped from his room into the hall. Levinson is one of thousands of poor, sick, or highly vulnerable people left to languish and at times die in unstable, 
underfunded and understaffed residential hotel rooms overseen by a city department that reports directly to to Mayor London Breed, a year-long investigation by the San Francisco Chronicle found. In a complex arrangement, the city's Department of Homeless and Supportive Housing, or HSH, pays nonprofit groups to provide rooms and aid to formerly homeless people in about 70 single-room occupancy hotels known as SROs, which the nonprofits generally lease from private landlords. The buildings are the cornerstone of a, get this, $160 million program called Permanent Supportive Housing, which is supposed to help people rebuild their lives after time on the streets. But because San Francisco leaders have for years neglected the hotels and failed meaningfully to regulate the nonprofits that that operate them, many of the buildings, which house roughly 6,000 people, now just do the math, okay, $160 million divided by 6,000 people. There's your cost per person, okay? These have descended into a pattern of chaos, crime, and death, the investigation found. Critically, the homeless crisis in San Francisco has worsened. Since 2016, the year city leaders created the Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing, the number of homeless people in the city has increased by 56%. According to the data exclusively obtained by the Chronicle that shows how many people access services, at least 19,000 people were homeless in San Francisco at some point in 2020, the most recent year for which data was available from the health department. To learn more, I highly recommend reading the rest of this article from the San Francisco Chronicle, which is just one of the best pieces of journalism I've read on the topic coming out of the Bay Area in a long time. Let me give you some takeaways. Any and all plans that include tax dollars must include plans against misuse of said dollars and plans for future privatization. I mean, the bottom line is that they will not do well with it unless there's just phenomenal oversight on this. You cannot spend people out of poverty. If we only see this in terms of money, if you only see the solution in terms of throwing dollars at it, well, San Francisco is an excellent example of a city that has thrown millions, hundreds of millions of dollars at this problem only to see the problem get worse. Money should only be granted on the basis of demonstrable performance. Success at reducing homelessness must be the minimum standard for leaving homelessness in exchange for a significantly better life. It must be the goal. This has to be the kind of conversation that you have every time somebody comes to your neighborhood and says, and says something like, uh, we would like to put a tiny tent village in your community. You have to go show me by, de- give me evidence that you will actually, that you can and will actually reduce ho- the homeless problem in my neighborhoods, in my city parks, off my freeway exits. Show me that you will make a visible difference. And I'm telling you right now, 
There's nobody on the West Coast that I've seen that is, that is proposing these kinds of things that can actually demonstrate a visible difference. In our region, in our little Southern Oregon, uh, in Grants Pass, we're not seeing it. In Medford, where they have tiny tent villages and where they have a pretty well-developed taxpayer-funded uh, uh, programs and stuff like this, they still have a relentless problem of people camping in the city parks and off the freeway exits and along their Bear Creek Greenway. So um, it's, a, it's a big problem, lots of stuff in the news, and, uh, and unfortunately not lots of it's super good. So uh, we want to see something more effective, better uh, in the change. So let's talk about crucial conversations. Um, this is part two of our discussion on Crucial Conversations. Here's our book. Um, it is Crucial Conversations, Tools for Talking When Stakes Are High. Uh, it's by Joseph Grenny, Kerry Patterson, Ron McMillan, Al Schweitzler, and uh, Emily. I didn't catch that last one on there uh, because they've added, they've added some new stuff in the third uh, edition. Um, anyways, um, this is why stories matter, and this book has impacted. Um, this this book has really impacted the way we think at the Gospel Rescue Mission, the way that w- our programs are designed, and um, and last week we talked about our path to action, um, and we're going to build on that. Why mastering stories matter, and this is just more more lessons that we've learned and applied. Uh, so our path to action, our observations goes like this. Our observations lead to questions. Okay. And questions are answered by stories. Most frequently, those stories are told by ourselves. So our stories determine how we feel and our feelings determine how we act. Now, if this is true and we're convinced that it is, then here's our, here's our end goal. The action of urban camping and homelessness, uh, in other words, is, excuse me, is the result of stories, stories that people tell themselves. And, um, and let's talk about how we get there and why we need to make changes here. So first of all, if, if we don't have these crucial conversations, if we're not able to have conversations about difficult things, then what it results in is it results in silence or violence. And, and by its very nature, um, homelessness is, is an evidence of relational brokenness. It's an inability to hold crucial conversations. So some ideas of silence um, are things like masking, um, the sarcasm and sugarcoating. You know, why are they out there? Well, it's okay. I'm fine. I can survive. I'm doing just fine uh, living out here in my tent. Um, avoidance. Uh, they will just avoid talking about anything but what's important. So when you're talking to the homeless person who's holding up the sign and you go, hey, um, why are you, why don't you go stay at the mission? And the, the last thing they want to do is talk about why they don't want to get out of 
their homeless situation. And then, of course, uh, withdrawal. Withdrawal is just a completely pulling away from the conversation entirely. So you've got these people that are isolating and getting away from social interaction. Why? Because there's difficult conversations that come with social interaction. The other is violence, okay? The, so the, the, if they're unable to have these crucial conversations, they become controlling, okay? And they use coercion and, uh, and hyperbole. So um, things like, I will just camp in your city parks. We will just decide to do exactly what, uh, what you don't want us to do if you don't give us our way. And here's the hyperbole, because I have nowhere else to go and I'm going to die, Okay. Um, labeling. How about the labeling that goes on in the, in the homeless community and towards homelessness in general? Um, what we do, we move to violence and we label people. We label them things like tweakers or bums. We label them as all being addicts or mentally ill. And all of these are ways of dismissing somebody because you begin to dehumanize them. Um, we also can move to violence by just simple attacking. I mean, so... Um, homeless camps are basically just not safe. And they become these people who are disengaged from uh, good conversations and unable to have good conversations end up doing things like yelling obscenities at people who are walking through the park, vandalizing the park, stealing from the neighborhood around them. And of course, there's always just physical harm that comes as well from uh, one person to another. So Really, what we need to do is we need to create a mission of making conversations safe. And one of the ways we do this is by focusing on mutual purpose. So at the Gospel Rescue Mission, when somebody comes to the mission, the thing that we try and focus on is the thing that this, we create this mutual purpose. They do not want to remain homeless. And we also do not want for them to remain homeless. So leaving homelessness for good is our mutual purpose. And we're safe because we just stick to that conversation. We, we stick to the things that, are, that, are, that we've committed to together. Um, we, we engage them with a contract to commit to that purpose. So we are saying, hey, look, you came to us saying you wanted to leave homelessness behind. These are the things that it takes to, to do that in our facility. And, and would you agree with that? And they, in the, from entry all the way through their program, they say, yes, we're interested in committing to that contract, that we are willing to do these things in order to leave homelessness behind. Um, but not only are we committed to that, to that contract on the front end, but we also revisit it, and we revisit it on a regular basis. Another thing that we do is we're respecting choices. So, um, so we go both past and present choices. What we do is we give them the respect that they deserve. So when somebody has made bad choices, we're not scorning them for them, but we're talking about the the the, the validity of of the choices they made why they made them that way, the decisions that they made. Of course, you know, we'll say something like when someone tells us, man, I started using drugs when I was 13 years old. And when we start finding out about how did they, 
how was their life at 13 years old? And we hear the hideous nature of, of you know, their home life and everything. We think, you know, I think I might have decided to use drugs if I were raised in that home life as well. Um, and, and so those were the choices we made as a child, but we don't have to continue making them as an adult. Um, so we talk about both past and present. We talk about helpful and harmful choices. The choices to stay in this program or the choices to leave our program. Both of those, we respect those. We don't, we don't scorn somebody for leaving our program. We just go, okay, you know, this is your choice and this is what it's going to, um, this is going to be the result of that choice. Uh, brainstorming. We regularly revisit our plans uh, towards achieving our purpose together our purpose, our plans that we, that we come up with together, we revisit them regularly. We both check in and say, hey, is this still what you want? Are you still looking to leave homelessness behind? Do you agree that these are the best next steps to get there? And, uh, and we work that, we work that line and, and there's safety within that line. And so now, clever stories that derail relationships. One of the things that we have to do when we're talking to somebody who's first coming in off of the streets in, uh, into our program is we're listening for clever stories that derail relationships. These are things that are really common um, and they're things that are like victim stories. Victim stories, it's not my fault, um, is, a, is a victim story. Um, we'll hear it in ways like, oh, my ex left me, um, or uh, it's in my DNA, or someone stole my stuff, or I ran out of money. Um, these kinds of things are all victim stories. And uh, we're listening for them because we want to help empower them. We want to, we want to be able to turn them into victor stories. We want to get them to where they can work their way out of those. Villain stories. Um, it's, not, it's all their fault. We hear this kind of uh, in, in terms of like, uh, my boss was a jerk, or there's just too many greedy landlords out there, or she just knows how to push all my buttons, uh, or or if you're out in if you're out in uh, you know out in the homeless camps and you ask why don't you go to the mission? Well, they all have too many rules. Um, so so these are the kind of stories that we would hear um, in the villain stories, and and uh, it's somebody else's fault. That's how I got here. Um, and then we'll hear the helpless stories. Helpless stories is uh, there's nothing else I can do. I just can't quit. Um, these stories of helplessness that, um, that make these people, they lead to a person just being stuck in a homeless camp, in a tent, in a car, sitting there, and if the longer that they believe these stories, these stories will lead to homelessness. They're the things that are, that are doing that. And why clever stories? Well, why, why do they use these clever stories? Because they're close to reality. Um, they're hard to distinguish from the truth. So, so the closer that they are to reality, if a story has pieces of reality in it, um, but not all of reality, then, then they're going to sound really, really close to true. And that can be uh, really helpful if I want to get off the hook of responsibility. So they, they're part of the stories that get me off the hook of my responsibility. I'm just a victim. Hey, man, it's not me. I'm not responsible for my condition. Um, and they help me avoid acknowledging 
my bad choices. So again, um, if I've got these victim stories, if I've got these helpless stories, I can always just say, well, it's not me. Um, and, and I don't have to look at the, the things that I did along the way that led to my homelessness. Now, many stories are simply not true, okay? Um, and those are things that you just have to listen for. Um, stories that are not true, such as this. Uh, homelessness is all about addiction and mental health problems. Now, there is addiction and mental health problems related to homelessness, but it is the homelessness is all about this big, broad brush, and then it's all about addiction and mental health problems. Um, and here are some of the assumptions behind these things, and you have to listen for that. Um, they're saying when somebody says homelessness is all about this, uh, and particularly about mental health and addiction issues, they're saying that they are insurmountable. Okay, They're arguing that these are problems that cannot be overcome. Uh, oftentimes they're saying only the government can fix these issues, okay? And they'll say that by the, the implication is, is, well, we've wrecked the mental health institutions, and therefore all these mental health people are out uh, in, the, in the streets. And, and neither are true. Um, I mean, yes, the, we did change the mental health institutions across our country, but um, it's not all there is to be said. It's an oversimplification. And there are great mental health uh, organizations that are being that are doing great work in these things, and um, and then the idea that only the government can fix the issues. I mean, I got to tell you, when I look at I, when I look at our senators and congressmen and governors and you know and and even down to city council members, I'm not confident that they are people that are qualified to make that even even that decision as to how to solve mental health issues. Um, what's the best choice and what's the best way? Um, I'd rather see them build a bridge or, or uh, fill a pothole or build infrastructure or pay for police, you know, policing and stuff. These are things that they are very good at and have been doing well for a long time. Mental health things are not getting better, I don't see. And uh, the, yet there is, as we've already read in our news article today, there's literally, we're spending more on it in this last decade than we've ever spent on it as a nation. And uh, we're getting a bad result. Um, so I don't know that government's qualified to fix these issues. Um, another one is uh, homelessness. This is a, a story that's simply not true. Homelessness is a result of high rent. Okay? Let me just flat out contradict that. No, it's not. Okay, it's not a result of high rent. And here is the assumptions. And I'm not saying that there's not high rent. Good grief. Mortgage payments and high rent and all this stuff are through the roof right now at a, at a time, at, a, at a, a rate that's higher than any of us could have ever imagined. But here are some assumptions that it's saying. It's, it's assuming that a homeless person can afford and manage a low rent. You're saying if you just got the, if, if we just brought the price down, everybody'd be in a house. Not true. It's just not necessarily true. Uh, you might have some of them come into a house, but low rent or high rent, uh, a lot of these folks that are coming in, you can't have it both ways. You can't have it be, um, they're all mentally ill and all addicts and have them able to manage a low rent. Um, how about this? A homeless person 
the, the assumption that a homeless person can acquire and keep a job or income stream. I mean, our, one of our biggest focuses here in the mission is just to develop the income stream, to develop a stable income stream for folks. And that takes time. Helping them manage their finances. A lot of the folks that we've seen that are homeless really have gotten there because they weren't good at managing their income stream. So this has played a huge role into this. And these are big assumptions that are, follow from just saying it's a rental issue. Um, it's, just a, it's just a not helpful broad brush. So we got to get our stories to reflect reality. And that comes by asking better questions. So here's some questions that we should be asking. Am I pretending not to notice my role in this problem? Um, it, it's a it's a thing that we see a lot of times with uh, people who come in through our doors who've been homeless for a while is they blame everybody else and, and you focus on the injustices that everybody else has had in their lives. But what we haven't done is said, but why did you choose to have this person in your life? Why did you choose to, um, to, to drink when you knew that drinking was going, that, that one beer was going to lead to 15 beers? Um, why did you choose to, you know, to, to move to Oregon where it's where the rent is exceedingly high as opposed to say Oklahoma where the rent is exceedingly low um, so these kinds of things why am I pretending not to notice my role in the problem here's another one why would a reasonable rational decent person make this choice now now this is one that if we just if we just Take everybody in our lives that we've seen that make broken decisions or decisions that we don't understand, and we and we reduce them to um, to tweaker, to to addict, to to villain somehow. Um, then we we miss learning about why somebody makes a decision, and what it does is we dehumanize them by so so then we can just kind of more easily dismiss them. So we have to take people and go, let's humanize them again. Let's ask, why would a reasonable, rational, and decent person make that choice? And then we'll get to a better answer uh, as far as finding out how did we get here. Um, and then here's a question that's a good thing to ask. What do I really want? So if you're, if you're, if you're dealing with somebody who, who is asking you for money, uh, because they're homeless, and you're gonna, you're thinking, do I give them money? Do I give them food? What do I really want? What do I really want for them? Um, well, what I really want for them is to for them not to be homeless again, for them to not need money from me, but for them to have money of their own. And my giving them five dollars doesn't necessarily help them get to that spot. So, um, so. I have to think for this bigger picture, what is it that I'm really looking for and what will that goal require? Uh, what's it going to take for me to get to that spot that I really want to see for this person in their life? Correct stories lead to correct actions. Um, and we often, here's the funny thing, we often are the least qualified person to answer 
the question that we ask ourselves about our observations. So last week we talked about uh, the story of a person sitting in, uh, coming out of a theater and seeing their car at the end of the parking lot and it's dark outside and there's a there's a dark hooded figure standing out by the uh, by a, a a light post out in the parking lot, and we see the we see them there, and we go, why is that person there? And then we tell ourselves, well, that person's going to try and jump me between me and my car, or we tell ourselves. Hey, look at there. The uh, the theater must have hired security to get me safely from here to there. We're asking ourselves the question. We're the least qualified person to answer to, to answer the question. We don't know why that person's there. We should have gone in and asked the the theater staff. Hey, did you see that there was this person out here? Um, and let them answer. Why do we do this? So how many times do you do that when you're, when you're just talking to your spouse, maybe? Why is she slamming the door like that? Why is she using that tone of voice? And then we answer our own question, well, because she doesn't like me, or she's mad at me, or I've done something wrong, or, or instead of going, hey, I, I noticed that you closed that door a little loud. Uh, is there something wrong? And she might have gone, well, it got stuck, and you know, I just couldn't close it right, so I had to slam it. If we ask the right person, then we might get a better answer and a more complete answer, which is what we build our story on, which is what determines how we feel, which is what determines how we act. Um, So a commitment to gathering better data for my story can change my story entirely. Ownership of our role in, in a crucial situation can empower, change, and turn our focus from fault to responsibility. And this helps us to move from helplessness to able. Okay. So I'm no longer, I'm no longer helpless, but I'm able. And and we do this by, by talking to folks and going, you know, look, my hurt as a child was not my fault, but my healing is my responsibility. My spouse's relapse is not my fault, but my sobriety is my responsibility. Here's the bottom line. Homelessness is not a necessary outcome. The Bible says, Jesus says in the Bible, in John 8, 31 and 32, he says, If you abide in my words, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. What we're trying to help people with is freedom from despair, isolation, poverty, bondage, and abuse. And and we know that it is possible. Mental wellness and homefulness can be restored. And this correct story exchanges feelings of despair with hope and even joy. It's no wonder why mission residents become successful citizens. And, um, And these are some of the things that we've learned from Crucial conversations, um, they are tools for talking when stakes are high. 
there's a link to this book in our uh, in our show notes. And if this is the kind of thing that would interest you, uh, this is a great book for all kinds of relationships and relational issues, whether it's you're in the workplace or in your home or certainly uh, here in our Gospel Rescue Mission where crucial conversations, conversations that are important and significant and need to happen, and they happen all the time. They happen so much, we've even made a video about it. Here's one called Change Works. Check this out. When I got out of prison, I didn't feel like I had a choice but to move forward. I wanted my kids back and I wanted my life back. The way I was before I got here, it was, it was pretty bad. Um, I didn't see it myself until I got here. I had nowhere to go really. You know, like most people uh, who has to go to a, an organization like this, you, you are not at your highest point in your life. And so going to the mission was really the first step to having a different life, to being able to become healthy and not have to be the scary monster that my kids and other people knew me to be. Now I'm, I'm getting my stuff together and, and focusing on what I need to so I can have a, a good life and I can support my family. I do you know, have a three-year-old son and he's, I want him to be able to look up to me and the way I was going wasn't, wasn't cutting it. Yeah, we've all got uh, you know, preconceived notions about uh, what places like this would be. And um, it's been an amazing, amazing experience for, for all of us. Uh, the children have um, found support and growth. Um, our son Conlon is doing extremely well in school. And uh, truly, a, a lot of it has to do with the, the surroundings, that there is, as Lisa mentioned, uh, you know, protective quality to it. My husband and I, my husband was there too. And my husband and I have both been able to achieve our short and long-term goals because of them helping us do that while we live there. Me getting in school, my husband being able to get employed and being able to get our kids back and just the things that they helped us with have helped us achieve more goals now. And I'm an intern at Corrections now, getting to help people like they helped me. Right now I am a security officer through Fire Mountain Gyms. I used to be a dispatch for SOS Alarm and they kind of pointed me, hey, you're, you're going in the right direction. You know, keep, keep going with that and we'll support you. Because I do, you know, my, my goal for my life is to become a police officer, you know, for the city of Grants Pass. The mission is showing me that, you know, you can help anybody. And that's what I want to do. I, I want to protect and serve my community. We've got a pretty solid plan put together. So um, over the course of the next, uh, Hopefully 30 to 60 days we'll be moving on from here. A lot of it's because of the fact that they prepared us and they've really helped in terms of uh, finding us housing, pulling together community resources, also enabling me to have the time to really devote to my business. I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful that I get to use what God gave me in my past, the struggles and the difficulties. I get to use that to 
help other people come out of it. You know, so I think so many addicts don't think that they deserve to come out of it, that they only deserve to continue to live in it. And I'm just excited to show them that God loves you too. Kelly, that's a that video we did a long time ago um, when she was working for when when Monica was working for Community Corrections. She is now the woman's coordinator, and I am here uh, with Claire Hall. And, um, and Claire, you have been a mission resident now for how long? About three months. About three months, and. Um, Maybe if you would, uh, for those that don't know you, uh, can you tell me a little bit about how you got here? How, what, what led to staying at a mission? Well, I left an abusive relationship. Okay, okay. So that's a good idea. You know, I mean, when, when it's abusive, get out of it, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, when you came to the mission, I mean, what did you think about what were your thoughts before you came to the mission about the mission? It was a safe place to go. Yeah. Did you find that now that you've been here for three months, did you have you found that it's safe? Yes. It's been very helpful. In in what ways? Well, when my daughter got killed, everybody gathered around me. Mm, mm. So, for anybody that's watching. Um, and, you know, um, Claire's daughter passed away, uh, was it last month? March 24th. Yeah, yeah, March 24th. She was, um, she was um, hit by a vehicle in Central Point, I think. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, horrible, horrible tragedy. Um, tell me about, um, about, how that has, I mean, staying staying in a homeless shelter during this time, I think people would imagine that it'd be really hard. No, it's been fairly easy. Everybody has gathered around me, supported me. Sure. If I needed to talk, they were there so I could talk. That's good. That's good. Um, so getting into the mission, I mean, uh, when, you, when you were first decided that you wanted to come to, to the mission, um, what was that like? I mean, how did, it, how did you, what was coming in like for you? It was kind of hard at first. Everybody was so nice, and I was so used to being abused. Okay. But... After I was here a couple of weeks, I kind of opened up and started actually living my life and not what my abuser wanted me. Okay, okay. Um, and so, um, so, so coming here, you maybe feel a little bit of a sense of community with, yes. with the girls that are there? Yeah. And um, what are some of the kind of the daily activities of, of the women's shelter? We have chores in the morning. We have chapel. Monica started a crocheting class. Oh. Um, Are you taking part in that? Yes. Yeah. Are you crocheting good? Yeah. Did you know how to crochet before? A little bit. A little bit? But yeah. not too much. Okay. 
but Monica's has helped us okay. quite a bit. Yeah. Do you like it? Yes, I do. All right. And and so did, are you going to crochet me a blanket? Well, no, if I'll crochet you a blanket, but I'm crocheting <laughs> me a blanket. Okay. <laughs> Good. Um, what are what are other kinds of things that you do during the day? We have free time where we can go and do stuff that needs to be done. Um, that's about it. That's about it. Yeah. So, so. Um, I hear rumor is on the street that we're a very hard place to get into, that uh, we've got all these really unbearable rules, and that we're kind of a slave labor camp. You know, I mean, that's kind of— That's, that's kinda, not true. So, I mean, um, what kinds of chores might they have you do? Um, well, I do set up for breakfast, and then after breakfast, I put everything away. They have dishes— uh, sweep them up the dining room. There's sweep them up the foyer. There's dorm chores. Um, there's cleaning the elevator, which is basically sanitizing the touch points. Mm-hmm. Um, there's vacuuming the living room and the stairs. Did you did you have to do any of those things growing up and, and yes. you know in your in your personal life before? Yes. Yeah, I mean they just seem like kind of It's basically the stuff. same thing that you would do if you had your own house. Right. Is there any, is there anything that that uh, caught you by surprise about your stay at the mission? Like I wow, I wasn't expecting this. I wasn't expecting the kindness. Yeah. And the helpfulness and the support. That's really good. That's really good. You know, I, I, um, I hope that that's, you know, everybody's experience that stays with us. And, of course, that's, what we're, that's our goal um, is that they, that they feel uh, that they're supported, that there's kindness in, in, the, in the process, and, um, and that we walk through things together. We just we yeah. talk about and walk through things together. That's basically what happens. Yeah, good. I mean— if I would have been at home or at the abusive relationship when my daughter died, I don't know what I would have done. Yeah, yeah. Well, sweetheart, I, I know that this is, you know, very, still very raw, you know, and, yeah. and everything. And, and I really appreciate you taking the time to, to come up and, and share a little bit about your story on that. And uh, now you're getting ready to to be moving out to go live with your family yes. in Kansas City. In Kansas City, that's right. And um, and so, you know, if if so, if anybody's watching uh, this and and uh, and you might be uh, you know thinking about praying for Claire, uh, I would say just continue to hold her up um, and and ask for the Lord's kindness and presence and patience and goodness towards her. Um, because clearly, you know, uh, losing a child has got to be just uh, the most horrific thing I think I can it imagine, is. sweetheart. I, and, and and we we really um, we really just want to continue to walk with you. And if there's anything that we can ever do, uh, all the way here on the other coast, um, you know, uh, the, if there's anything we can do, um, 
you know, please don't don't hesitate to reach out to us. Right. Yeah. Um, if if there is somebody maybe who's maybe in a situation like you were in, you know, where where um, they're facing an abusive situation and they're not sure what to do and not sure where to go, um, what would you tell them? Come to the mission. Yeah. They will help. Did you feel like, have um, you felt like it's been safe here? Yes, very safe. Good, good. Well, my dear, I, I, again, I sure appreciate you and just, you know, your, your willingness to share your story. And uh, we'll continue to pray for you as, as you move on. And, um, and we'll always be here for you should you end up finding yourself back this way, okay? Okay. All right. Thank you for sharing your life with us, and and, uh, and we'll just continue to lift you up in prayer, okay? Okay. All right. Well, folks, up next, uh, one of our favorite local ministries, the Pregnancy Care Center on our ministry spotlight. Check this out. I'm Sydney Wilder, I'm the Pathway Coordinator at the Pregnancy Care Center here in Grants Pass. Uh, we provide everything from pregnancy tasks to ultrasounds to uh, 22 weeks of parenting classes and we have a baby boutique where our parents are able to get the supplies that they need for their little ones. You know, as, as a believer we um, feel grateful that we have the opportunity to help uh, the Creator with His creations and it doesn't matter the situation of how these babies have come into the world, we want to embrace them and, and be able to supply and encourage the parents. Um, it's sometimes a difficult situation for them, but we want them to know that they are loved and accepted in a non-judgmental way. Um, for us at the Pregnancy Care Center, we feel like uh, God does most of the heavy lifting. He's the changing in the hearts in the community because by the time someone's got the courage to walk through our door, um, they've already had a lot of changes in their life. We just want to greet them and love on them unconditionally and hopefully be able to help and support them through their pregnancies, their um, deliveries, and be able to encourage them as new parents. Christ calls us to serve those in need, and the need in the Rogue Valley is urgent. We invite you to partner with the Grants Pass Gospel Rescue Mission in our commitment to serve our community. Whether it is working in the kitchen, teaching our residents, or even tending our garden, your unique talents and gifts as a volunteer are key to effectively caring for our homeless population. Explore the many ways you can serve at grantspassmission.org. All right, and now it is time for Harsh and Evil Mission Rule of the Week. Are you ready? Oh boy, we got all this. It says, this is rule number 12, all residents that, volunteer, that voluntarily request to stay in the mission program for more than 30 days must contribute to the mission food program in the amount of $100 per adult and $50 for each dependent child residents at the beginning of each subsequent 30-day period. Okay, so 
here's kind of how this works. They kick into the food program. Obviously, uh, each person, it costs us more than $100 to feed an adult for an entire month uh, and more than $50 to feed a child for the entire month. What we're doing is we're asking for buy-in to the program. And the way that we do this is um, they can pay either with cash uh, or they can pay uh, with their food stamp card. And either one of those things will help just support the ongoing food and our food requirements and food needs to make sure that everybody gets uh, a good, healthy, nutritious meal. And what we're asking for kind of is it's buy-in. It's the, you know, they're going to they're gonna treat it better if they're paying into the program a little bit. And that's really what food stamps are for anyways. They're to help. Um, the, the SNAP program is to help get nutritional food in them. All too often what we've seen is uh, people in the homeless community buying a lot of uh, energy drinks and, and things that aren't going towards good, wholesome food. So we help them uh, use that in a way that it's intended and to go to good things. This is part of what it takes to stay at a gospel rescue mission. And their first 30 days is free, so um, they don't have to pay for their first 30 days. That means they will, by the time they're paying, they will have eaten for 30 days at no cost um, just to see if this is part of the program they want to be in. So that's the rule number 12 from the uh, rules of the gospel rescue mission. Final thoughts, what does the Bible say about homelessness? Well, our final thoughts today come from the book of Acts, and this is the Apostle Paul. He's talking to the elders of the Ephesian church, and he says this, he says, I coveted no silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. The importance of this is Paul is demonstrating for believers that this is what it looks like in the Christian life, that Christians should be productive with themselves. They should be productive with their hands. They should be productive with their minds. They should do things in a way that creates blessing, that, 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 that creates this flourishing. And with that blessing that comes from that activity, now you have something to give and share and not just being a receiver of things. And so trying to help people leave the idea of always accepting handouts to, uh, to move to the idea of, hey, I become a contributor. I'm becoming somebody that partakes in the contribution of everything that I consume, but also in the, in the giving to the needs of others, those around me. So a part of a Christian worldview is understanding that we become contributors to the world around us. And that's just as true for a homeless person as it is for a homeful person. Somebody who is homeful already understands this and they're contributing to their family. The homeless person needs to move into that, that way of thinking, that lifestyle, and that's where homefulness begins to flourish and begins to find its blessing. So thank you again for, another, for listening to us for another Mission Live. If this has meant something to you, if you have valued this at all, would you do me a favor? 
Would you subscribe to us? Hit the little subscribe button uh, at the uh, at the bottom of the page there. Follow us on Facebook, like us, and share us with your friends. Um, and that way, it gets us out there and helps us in all the rankings of the search engines and all the algorithms and all that kind of stuff. It lets it lets the machinery know that you like what you're hearing. Um, you can always go and support us at grantspassmission.org forward slash donate. You can always donate to us because this mission is 100% privately funded. It is not coming from, we take no government dollars. Uh, we don't take anything that way because we don't want the strings attached. We want to be able to keep the gospel first in all things. Thank you again for joining us for another mission live. God bless you. We'll see you next week.